Welcome to Tales from the Rabbit Hole. I'm your host, Mick West, and my guest today lives in Spain, and uh, she met somebody on the internet a few months ago, and he turned out to be a conspiracy theorist, and we're going to talk about that. So welcome, and thank you. Thank you for being here. Yeah. So, I mean, I've listened to some of your episodes, so I think the first thing I want to say is the duration of mine is, you know, it's very short, and doesn't hit the highs of some of the stories I've heard. Right. But it's still, it's very interesting because I think uh, yeah, the experience you had is probably something that a lot of people would have had. And it's uh, kind of a perplexing experience, I think. Like you met somebody and in- initially, what was your, your impression of this person? <laughs> uh, beautiful. Incredibly handsome. Um, incredibly um, straightforward and honest. Had an interest in philosophy. Just seemed to care about the world to an extent and have an idea for his future. Like he was getting everything together. Right. Really nice to be around. Yeah. So I guess you thought you'd, you know, you'd found someone, someone good for, from Absolutely. that. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You, I guess you went out with him a few times and then what, what, what would be the, like the kind of the first inkling you had that something wasn't quite right, right. First inkling. I don't know. Um, it was the corona. It, he didn't take coronavirus as seriously as most people do. I think most people, they don't necessarily believe it, but they pay lip service to what they need to do and say. Um, he wore the mask and he did everything he should, but, you know, quietly complained. Mm. So would he, would, he, would he say something about he thought that it was a hoax or something like that? He didn't think it was dangerous, he thought okay. it was blown out of the water. But I, so I've just moved to Spain. So this is a okay. completely new experience for me. So, you know, I've been meeting new people and I have been encountering a lot of conspiracy theories, you know, mild ones, coronavirus related. So stuff about uh, China invented it. I think people talking about a nefarious government taking advantage of coronavirus. So all this, all these stories are kind of, being proliferated everywhere by people I know. Um, so when he started saying those things, I was like, okay, okay, hmm. there's a general distrust of government here, but that is everywhere at the moment. Right. Yeah, it's interesting the the differences in various countries with conspiracy theories. Like I'm, you know, obviously I'm based in in the US and from the UK, but I've been in the US for a long time. So you get this this perspective of uh, uh, of you know, what a conspiracy theory is and for a lot of people it's very much based around what the conspiracy theory is, is in their country so it's interesting to hear about other countries but the stuff mm. that you 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 mentioned in uh, your email i think uh, it very much reflects a lot of the things uh, that we have in the u.s and the the big difference i think between the u.s and europe in terms of conspiracy theories is that the European conspiracy theorists seem a lot more um, concerned with the idea of uh, this kind of great replacement type thing with uh, people coming in and taking over the, the, the white culture, essentially. Oh, well, yeah. So this, is, this was completely new to me. I mean, so our honeymoon period was like a really amazing month of trying to spend as much time with each other as possible, talking on the phone all the time. Um, you know, just kind of falling madly for each other. But slowly these kind of theories came through. And the, the, the really shocking one was this idea of Spain being taken over. 
It was a fear of the EU. I felt it had parallels with kind of the US conspiracy theories as a real preoccupation with kind of individual rights, freedom, the right to bear arms. There we go. There's the first one. Right to bear arms. On our first date, he said, I believe in gun ownership. And as a British person, that's a that's a a big thing to say. Yeah. So uh, what are the the gun laws like in Spain? Uh, He's told me uh, Spanish police officers can uh, have a gun with them at all times, but it's uh, difficult to prove that you needed to use it. So police officers have it as a deterrent, but rarely use it. Do individual people have guns in Spain? Do they? I think it's only related to hunting licenses. Okay. Yeah. Um, you can own a gun, but it's um, there's a lot of rules and regulations around it, and it's not common. His idea of like you know gun ownership being uh, you know a fundamental right or whatever that he thinks that you should be able to own guns. Do you think that comes from uh, <clears throat> some kind of Spanish cultural thing, or is it kind of coming from the American conspiracy theory type thing? Because obviously in America there's this whole Second Amendment thing. Where mm-hmm. gun ownership is is so fundamental to so many Americans, and the idea that it's going to be taken away is is underpins a lot of uh, conspiracy theories. So Absolutely. is it is it the American culture infecting the Spanish conspiracy culture, or is it something more uniquely Spanish? I don't think I know enough about it to confidently say which one I think, but. From what I know of European culture, technically being European, there's just no interest in gun ownership. Yeah. Even when I've met people who are considered right wing working in governments and I've been their teacher, when it came to how to act socially and, um, and you know, LGBT rights uh, and all that, very liberal, I would say more left wing than the UK. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a shock to me. I would never expect that. So he's, he's talked to you about uh, the coronavirus and gun rights. Uh, when did the kind of the racism creep in? When will you become aware of that? As soon as I met him and I just ignored it. And I'm really shocked of, with my behavior because as soon as uh, I think it was like our second or third day and he was just kind of showing me around the town um and he he actively went to the place where the jews used to live in the town hmm. and 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 said you know this is where we expelled the jews in like the 14th century and wow. you know for me for me i was like well you know that's just a historical fact you, it's a historical fact that most people wouldn't be interested in but i would be interested in and clearly he's interested in that uh, yeah, and then he spoke a lot about how uh, there's a lot of Romanian gypsies um, in lots of towns in Spain, and he spoke badly, like pretty badly of them, which was definitely a red flag. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, this is this obviously like he has this uh, somewhat racist undercurrent, but how did that kind of like uh, kind of manifest itself in terms of a, a conspiracy theory type thing. You know, if it, it's one thing to say like it was a good thing to get rid of the Jews back in the mm-hmm. 14th century, uh, and that he doesn't like gypsies. You know, then he's he's going to start at some point telling you about like some kind of plot that's going on. You know, how yeah. how did you discover that you know, he had these ideas? 
I don't know how he lets people know about his belief system early on. I don't know how much he keeps to himself. He he really did want to share with me. He didn't want to convince me of anything, but he would say inflammatory statements. And at first I would laugh thinking it was some kind of shared joke. And but then the inflammatory statements kind of continued. And then just one day he just said, I don't like Jews. And I thought it was a joke. And I was like, why on earth don't you like Jews? <laughs> I haven't met any here. Um, and he didn't go into the full reasons. And we were together and he made it into an explanation about kind of Catholics historically hating Jews, uh, being brought up a Catholic, um, in a Catholic society. So I just convinced myself, I think, um, I just convinced myself that it was something he hadn't thought about much. Mm-hmm. Like a cultural thing. A cultural thing, something that had been passed down on him. I was aware from the beginning that he hadn't travelled much um, and he hadn't really been outside of Spain. That Not that it has too much of a bearing, but, you know, if you stay in the same area, it yeah. uh, can have a bearing. You know, and I was aware that he had a difficult time in his childhood that he spent a lot of time on the internet from a young age and he started smoking weed from a really young age as well. That's interesting. So what did he, uh, was he using uh, weed when you yes. were with him? Yes. Uh, it's interesting because I, I was just talking to um, a woman a few days ago and I just published her podcast. Her name was Sarah. And she mentioned uh, that her partner was uh, smoking a lot cannabis uh, she felt like that this actually had an effect on his beliefs, his conspiratorial beliefs. Uh, did you ever suspect anything like that, that you know, the, the drug use contributed in some way to the, the beliefs or the growth of these beliefs? I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm all for the legalization of yeah. weed, but it's still a drug and it still affects your brain and your ability to process information yeah and if you're smoking it every day for many many years that is going to have an effect it's going to have an effect on how you see yourself it's going to have an effect on your your motivation to do different things to try different things because when you smoke you when people smoke they become passive um and you know just easily just take in lots of information watch tv for hours and hours and hours and I know YouTube have changed. I know they've changed their algorithm, but for a good few years, their algorithm was take you to the next video that's the most similar to this video. So then people would get, they would really get stuck in, you know, their own echo chamber. And if you're yeah. watching really content, that's going to continue. I also know that he was a, an avid 4chan user for many years. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. Now, would that be an English language 4chan? Yeah, his uh, speaking comprehension and listening skills in English are excellent. Right. Yeah. So he uh, probably got quite a lot of stuff from 4chan because that's obviously a big uh, melting pot of various conspiracy theories and and racism and sexism and things like that. Um, You mentioned, like, I'm just looking over your email, you mentioned that you were interested in uh, incel culture. Oh. uh, Ties in a little bit with with 4chan to a degree. But uh, how did you get interested in in incel culture? Can you briefly describe what, what incel culture actually is? From my personal experience, I lived in a a lovely little liberal bubble. 
a lovely little kind of art school London bubble, people around my age with my very left-wing beliefs, progressive, you know, typical city uh, point of view. And when I got to Vietnam, it there was there's a when people move really far away, there's a lot of lost souls and there's a lot of uh, bitterness. Um, and I just met a lot of I just met a lot of men who really didn't like women very much, wow. you know. And I'm spending years around you know, years kind of studying feminism as an undergraduate, talking about all these theories and ideas. It was amazing for me, you know, being convinced that the whole world felt the same as me. Uh, And then kind of turning up to a new place and being like, wow, no, there's a lot of very upset Western men um, coming to another country to kind of live some kind of fantasy of of, um, the perfect household, Hmm. you know? Uh, the man of the house, and then um, a younger, beautiful woman who listens to you and cooks all your food, and then you have children. And there can be a lot of animosity towards Western women by Western men in places like Vietnam. It's fascinating. I never really heard of it uh, put like that before. But yeah, you can you can kind of see that uh, because you do have a more traditional family structure, I guess, in in Vietnam. With uh, is it is it more of a paternal figure ruling the household type thing in, in Vietnam or, or at least the, being the head of the, the household? The women there are strong. Um, right, <laughs> and right. um, but there is, um, I mean, yeah. More yeah, machismo. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Vietnamese uh, culture can be very masculine. You know, we all, um, there are jokes about Western men going over to Asia you know, to, to find a docile woman. And it's funny because they don't really find a docile woman, (laughs) (laughs) but they, but you know, but they do find a woman who has been taught what her role is in a romantic relationship. And it's quite different to what Western women expect. Yeah. Yeah. So with with incels, it's this kind of, um, I guess a movement uh, in, in, you know, I've only really seen it in the States, but I mean, I guess it's going to be all around the world because it's this, this kind of um, men being disaffected with their position because they feel like they're being rejected by women and they, they kind of fall into this more, uh, you know, this idea that Western culture is being changed and traditional gender roles are being changed and they don't like it and they want to change it back. Uh, and I think, you know, that, that is to a degree kind of, underpinning a, a, a variety of these these right-wing conspiracy theories not like as a as a core you know that's what everything's based on but it's like one one aspect of it you know, they think that the the culture is changing so they're they're fighting yeah absolutely there's a there, there's a fear of this kind of of a breaking down of what they expected in their future is this something that you're you're your Spanish friend that uh, you met, is it something that he subscribed to? Like not, not incels so much, but kind of men's rights or. Uh... No. And mm. that's something that I, I in Vietnam learned to pick up on and also try and understand the shades of it. Because in my office, when you become long-term in a, in a place like Vietnam, the women leave, the Western women leave. So. <laughs> right. 
because there's not really there's not many opportunities for them to settle down to build a life there one uh, not all but a lot of western men stay and they build lives there but what comes with this is um uh an accepted atmosphere of the of these ideas and for me coming into offices and you know and building relationships with these kind of guys um who they were all on that on that level of joe rogan loving um uh jordan peterson reading you know white middle-aged men um you know and me coming in <laughs> this like at the time like 29 year old like a feminist from london um yeah how did um, they react to you then i mean it was so was um, it <laughs> do you think it was a bit difficult them for them yeah, some of them absolutely hated me, um, but a lot of them didn't. Um, and I had a, a boyfriend for a while and he was, uh, these these theories were really important to him and he felt like he'd been left behind and he was fearful of the binary between mass, male and female collapsing. Oh, really? um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and he he felt like he had been left behind and um, and Jordan Peterson really spoke to him personally yeah yeah jordan pearson's an interesting character uh mm. yeah this i mean do you, do you feel like you know, you're a young liberal feminist mm. and do you feel like there's there's a, a there, there is definitely a, a change in the culture that's been go- going on for for decades basically and mm. uh, do you feel like it's kind of like forcing things out into the open that were always there or is it kind of creating something new in terms of these, you know, disaffected young men? When you are the placeholder um, of the, just by your gender and the colour of your skin, uh, of the the most amount of rights, the most amount of respect, the most ability Mm. and access to education, um, social mobility, and, but nobody tells you that you are. Nobody has ever told you that you're that. And then suddenly, I mean, not suddenly, I mean, it's been, it's been a really slow process, but more and more people, people are saying, Hey, look at that privilege. Why don't I have that? First you had, first you had white feminists, then you get, um, um, and of course black rights movement. And then this starts coming into how, rather than it just being based on the culture of actual physical rights, you start talking about what are the problems impeding my life and the, and how I'm being treated day to day. And I do think if you go in and attack and say, look at what you've got, look at your privilege, the, the first thing a lot of white men who are struggling for many reasons are going to do is get aggressive and become like a victim. I'm making sense. And yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and this is what I saw. And you can't negate people's own personal experiences because even though you as a white middle-class male have a lot of opportunities and a lot of respect in society, other people don't, you still have your own problems and troubles. And there's, there's, there's a whole side of, there's like a whole masculinity studies, isn't there? Where they talk where it, where these issues are discussed um, and um, expectations of men in society and how they struggle. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, you know, obviously I'm a middle-class white male and uh, I don't know if I, 
I really had this expectation when I was growing up that I was going to be uh, privileged, but I never really saw any major obstacles in, in, in my future when I was young. It just seemed like, oh, I'm going to go to university. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to have buy a house, probably get married. I wasn't really into getting married back then, but uh, you know, it, it just seemed like it was all going to, going to happen. And, and I think people don't realize that they're privileged, obviously. And then when they, they're told that they're privileged and then they feel that their lives aren't going the way that they, they would assume or they like, then, then they get angry about being labeled as being privileged and they see the, the issue as being elsewhere. Absolutely. And I do think there's an element of scapegoating in uh, scapegoating involved in this it's so easy to get angry at a group who's telling you you're wrong rather than I mean I mean it's not like I'm expecting people to do that but I do think there are some systemic economic uh, problems that have been happening for a long time which means that the expectation that I was given as a uh, as a, a working class you know relatively poor working class person was that I would go to university it would be free I would go get a career and I would and I wouldn't be in that situation anymore because of education but I don't think that is realistic anymore and you know I expected to own a house I expected to have a car I expected you know children all these things and none of those things are uh, available maybe one day I'll get a car but none of these things are available to me um uh, and they're a struggle to get um Yeah, and I, I'm kind of a generation ahead of you. Like I'm uh, in my 50s now. And uh, yeah, when I grew up, university was very much uh, kind of expected and free for anybody who, who went through the school system. Uh, you just you went to university. I got a grant to go to university. It didn't, didn't cost me anything. Um, and uh, it, it, it was, it's remarkable kind of looking back on it, just how uh, almost how easy life was back then that you would just go to university and uh, get a job. Of course, you had to be able to do the work at university, but uh, it, 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 it was almost like uh, my hands were being held through this whole process. And I think perhaps with things moving away from that, that model now over the last year, few decades, and it's certainly really never been like that in the United States. You don't really get this, this, this uh, you know, free, free university. Everybody ends up with, with massive... Massive debts. I don't know much about the United States, but I think there's something about the United States. I mean, that I've, that I've read about, and it's this kind of denial of the class system. In the UK, we're open about it. People are like, "Yo, I'm working class. Yo, I'm middle yeah. class." We, we're very we 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 talk about that openly. It's on our TV screens. We, we see we see how people live in 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 different ways. But in America, there seems to be this just you just don't see poor people on tv yeah i mean there, there certainly are uh obviously there's poor people but there, there's a kind of a there's there's some poor culture I, I guess you would put it with kind of like the 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 redneck uh for want of a better word uh uh culture they will label themselves as being proud rednecks and uh, people who who live in in poor generally white cultures uh in the united states but uh yeah there's, there's certainly a sense in the united states that i think someone said that Everybody in the, in the United States is a millionaire who has been temporarily inconvenienced, uh, and that everybody feels like you know we should shouldn't tax the rich because one day I might be rich, uh, and they think that you know this, this idea of money is 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 very much open to everybody when it obviously isn't. There's there's a huge huge 
proportion of the the people in this country who are never going to get rich and uh, it's impossible that everybody will be and it is kind of strange they talk a lot about the middle class in the united states which always kind of i always found very interesting because they never talk about the working class and they kind of fold them in together but there is there is in the united states there's middle class people you know people with, with with jobs and houses and then there's this this huge a uh, mass of people, the, the working class and the unemployed, who just don't even get a say really in the, in the in the culture. I think, and I think there may be something coming from from that. If you can't, if the middle class is being increasingly excluded to you, then you're going to get this this type of resentment, uh, and you know perhaps you don't get it so much in the UK because. People say, oh, I'm working class, then, you know, it's okay for me to live on a council estate and draw the doll. I'm not sure exactly mm-hmm. what they do nowadays. That was what <laughs> I would describe it back in the 30 years ago. But yeah, it's... Um, so with your, your friend uh, in Spain, mm-hmm. he, you, you think you described him as being middle class? From what I can tell, his family always worked. He never talked about being in poverty. Um, I do think there was neglect from from parents maybe some form of abuse there's definitely neglect though there was definitely a lot of anger towards family members you said he didn't do so well in school there was problems with school he uh told me that he believed himself to be autistic really early on Mm, Um, yeah so I was like okay um I don't know what to do with this information to be honest um I've got a family member who's autistic but it, it made me because I really liked him uh, and and, uh, you know, it made me want to understand it more. So I researched a lot. What's it, what's it like to be in a like, ridiculous? What's it like to be in a relationship with an autistic person? Mm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what, what to expect and um, what are some difficulties and and um, all those all those things that I read. Maybe maybe I was trying to find it, but all those things I was reading for a little bit of support and understanding were were quite easily identifiable in him so I was like oh yeah I think he's got it right I do think he isn't uh he is neurodiverse um in some ways um and I got the impression that he was really ignored at school and treated like a a a, a problem rather than trying to be understood and his family never accepted that he was in any way different um, which probably would have caused a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so when you say he was ignored at school, what, what does that mean? Ignored by his classmates or ignored by the teachers? Uh, okay. That he wasn't considered academically bright, so he was just left to it. I know that he just played a lot of video games, spent a lot of time online from a young age. Okay, sounds like me, except we didn't have online when I was young. I, I, <laughs> I was kind of left to my own devices as a child. I ended up programming computer games rather than uh, than playing yeah, them. I mean, you know, my my brother spent most of their childhood on on uh, yeah. you know playing computer games and playing computer games with friends and just being part of that culture and part of that world um, with no problems. Yeah, I, mean, I guess like what, what we're talking about here is is like what are the factors in people's past that can kind of lead them to to come to this place where they start distrusting things and. Yeah, you, you, you obviously, if you've looked into incel culture, you might be familiar with things like Gamergate, uh, mm. which was a thing in the, in the game culture where uh, male, young male gamers were essentially harassing this, this journalist who, who they thought had 
um, done something wrong by giving a, a positive review or something like that. I can't remember the exact details. Like, and, and they framed it as being about ethics in game journalism, but it really seemed like this, this horrible misogynist uh, thing, which is kind of ties in with incel culture. And it kind of gave gamers in a way, a, a, a bad name, but not necessarily unwarrantedly because you know, if you've got a lot of young males in a culture, you're going to get something of a, a toxic mix in there from, from some of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that feels like it relates to things like, like 4chan and 8chan, these, these online discussion boards. Uh, you get these young males together and this young male culture. But you know, how does that all come around to anti-Semitism and belief in these conspiracy theories? Like there's this conspiracy theory. So I think being around men who didn't necessarily like Western women very much, instead of being, being uh, aggressive or um, reactionary with them, I learned to just kind of talk on their level, but make it clear that I didn't necessarily agree with them, that when they said something unacceptable, it was unacceptable. And obviously to, ha- to get to a point where I'd be like, okay, this, you know, these people don't hold the same views as me, but they're good people and they accept who I am. And they accept our differences, but there are people who just don't and they're just sexist or racist or something. So when I met him and he was giving, he was telling me these views, I, I, I was like, well, he respects me and he respects women in his life. So that's not an issue. And he's not demonstrating to me any kind of severe hate for anyone. So we must be able to get to an understanding here. Um, Rather than being reactionary, I was like just kind of digging. But then it got to a point where I got really scared of digging because I really didn't know. I didn't want to hear what I might say. And I just stopped. And that, I think, is I'm a little bit shocked by that reaction because that's not how I that's not how I operate usually. Um, So did you feel you felt like you you were scraping away the surface to a degree and were you starting to see things that that you didn't want to learn more about? So you felt like there was something there or or was it a conscious decision or do you think you just kind of shied away from it? Interesting. I think, you know, I'd call friends or family or they'd call me and they'd be like, Oh, how's it going with a guy you've been really excited about? And I'd be like, Oh, great. Yeah, we did this. We had all this fun. Da, da, da. Oh, yeah, but he hates Jews. Da, 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 da. And I just kind of go, ha, ha. No, that mm. can't be. It can't be real because when I say it, it's not real. Ha, who does that? Who? I, I've yeah. met race. You know, I've met people who hate black people. I've met people who, you know, from the UK, I've met lots of people who hate Muslims. You know, I've, I've, I've been around racists and, and, you know, I think largely think they're deplorable or clueless. But I just, it was, it's so, it, for, for me, anti-Semitism is so out there that it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's, sense? no, it does. I mean, it's, it's like he's joking. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like you, you can't take it seriously because it's so, so extreme. And he, he seems like otherwise like such a nice guy. But I have mm. some friends uh, from Britain who who would make, uh, jokes that are very kind of uh, I don't know risky in in sense that they 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 flirt around the edges of, of racism uh, and you know that it's just them making a very very bad taste joke and that they're 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 not racist but then what if they are you know it's uh, mm. <laughs> it's 
it's like I think people use humor in a way to feel other people out. If you yeah. if you if you frame it as a joke, and you say, "Oh, it's all it's all the Jews who are behind this," or whatever, and you, you make a joke about it, and then you can kind of gauge someone's reaction. Yeah, and then you get and, plausible deniability. Mm, and he loved American culture, and he. In it, you know, when he was a teenager, like a lot of Spanish youths, uh, was a communist. So I, mm. I just presumed he had kind of similar, similar ideological values to me, uh, but didn't necessarily want to express them um, so much. Um, and what I really liked about him was that he would come up with these, like just ridiculous, just ridiculous ideas um, that he'd kind of just been thinking about for a while. What I really liked about him. I, I, and even at the end when he explained everything to me and it was shocking, it was like he'd really gotten to the bottom of what conspiracy theories were. He wasn't flirting with the edges. He wasn't like, you know, some some Biden pedophile over here and, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't like the state of Israel. He, you know, or, you know, what was it? The Something about returning to the gold standard. That one was strange. Yeah. But when he really got down to it, he knew it was all about anti-Semitism. And he was like, hmm. and that, and so he had really analyzed conspiracy theories to their end point. And he didn't need me to, to, to try and dig for him. He, he got it and he completely accepted this as his worldview. So yeah, when you talk about conspiracy theories, a lot of people talk about you know, somewhat extreme things like, um, I don't know if you heard about chemtrails and things like that, or uh, you know, the idea that 9-11 was an inside job or or even things like people are being secretly microchipped and things like that, extreme things. And what, what you're talking about here seems to be more about the idea that there's some vast plot to change the world by changing culture. Now, did, did, he, did he talk about these, these more extreme conspiracy theories as well, like things like, like, I don't know, like 9-11 being a, an inside job? No. So it started with coronavirus, and then I was, I've been reading a, a really nice, easy philosophy book. He was like, oh, we're talking about philosophy. Okay, let's go in. And it was just conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory. But none of it was about, was about kind of the usual 9-11, moon landings, fluoride in water. Any of the ones that I was familiar with, it was anti-EU. It was fear, fear of Joe Biden becoming president. He cried when Trump, when Trump lost. Wow. The, yeah. So is is the idea there that uh, I think he mentioned the that he felt that there's a, a what you wrote a a kind of mass cultural push by the U.S. to destroy the culture of European states. Like, why is the U.S. trying to destroy European states? Because he, I, I don't know. He, he uh, I, I don't to something about. A Jewish cabal, something about it, no, nothing made sense. Something about a Jewish cabal, something about taking over Spain, something about breaking up the EU. So I, would, I would have thought if anybody would be uh, breaking up the EU, it would be, be Russia. Um, I mean, but I mean, it, it depends. You can think about it. I mean, you can think about it in a way that if you don't want another, if you don't want a liberalizing power block, I mean, the EU is the only power block left where they are promoting human rights um, and they have some, they have some form of 
capitalism that tries to spread equality. Um, maybe people, some people in America want to break that up because <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I mean, but yeah, absolutely. If you're thinking about, if anybody wants to break up the EU as a power block, it would probably be Russia, uh, Russian government or even Chinese government. So there's no, not a, a yeah, yeah, definitely. of how they govern undemocratically. And why would, why would Biden be more of a threat than Trump in that regard? Now, this I never, because I was just too frightened to get into it because it didn't make any sense to me. It was really Q-inspired that right. Biden was a hmm. paedophile and Biden was working. It was something about Biden working with the, the paedophile rings of Jewish people. Okay. Everything for him came back to the Jews, from what I can gather. Yeah. Now, the paedophile rings of Jewish, Jewish people, was, was this, this paedophile aspect something that he, he felt was permeating everything? Or was it just like in America or something like that? It seemed to be really American-centered. It didn't seem like it was affecting Spain. The only way it was affecting Spain was it was going to take over Spain. And actually, right. all this information came out and he was saying, some, also Joe Biden, Joe Biden want, wanted a currency tied to the dollar. He wanted to get rid of that and go back to the gold standard. And I... Joe Biden. I have, Huh? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> any sense? So I was like, okay, right. I've got some kind of very basic understanding of the gold standard, and that's what we had in the pre nineteen thirties. It was the financial crisis. Was the the gold standard was blamed for that? So then they changed uh, because it caused such big fluctuations. That's what I was told. Not not what I was told. That's what I what I learned many years ago. So I don't understand what his ideas were. And he was like, you have to buy gold. It's the most important thing. Yeah, and that, that's a common thing. It's kind of like a, a libertarian thing in, in the States, yeah. like uh, financial independence. Uh, yeah. People like the idea of, of gold standard versus uh, fiat money, which is uh, you know, the, the idea of money just being created out of thin air, which is what, essentially what we have now. I think the problem with the gold standard was that there's only so much gold. And so there was there's issues with the... Uh, uh, with money supply, you can't get enough money for the economy to work. Uh, but of course, everybody views coming off the gold standard as being this huge money grabbing thing by, I guess, the Jews, uh, because they're, they're, that's what the whole conspiracy theory is, is that the, the Jews run the banking system and they took us off the gold standard. And there's this huge long term conspiracy that's been going on for for decades. But it's it's interesting, with, you know, with your, your friends, um, ideas of Biden being more harmful and things like that. It seems very much like he's been influenced uh, very much by, by his readings on things like 8chan rather than, than I guess, local conspiracy theories. Is there a, like a local conspiracy theory culture? Is there other, other Spanish language discussion boards for that type of thing? Well, I don't know much about this, but I do know that, I, I, not that I know, I believe that a big part of his friendship group is based on the sharing of these conspiracy theories. And he showed me uh, a website in Spanish talking about this, this stuff that his friend had sent him. And, um, and I remember being like, what source is that? And he was like, just a guy's blog in Spanish. And I went, well, then how do you know it's true? Hmm. Because it's just a guy. And he was like, well, 
why you know and his argument was why would it be less true than than a, a, a peer reviewed journal or a newspaper but again I let it go but so mm. I do believe there are there are Spanish Spanish language conspiracy theories um, going around but he Any- but but his experience was was largely in English Right. But his one of his friends speaks Spanish, so I presume, I presume there must be some Spanish language go- stuff going around. So, so when you, when you talk about his group of friends, are these is like his his old like school friends or people he grew up with, or is this like a new group of people that he's, he's... people he grew up with? All played games together, from what I can tell, and played yeah. sports together and smoked weed together. And they they they're all similar in this kind of belief of this vast Jewish conspiracy. I believe so. Fascinating. I, I mean, there's lots of things I didn't ask about um, out, out of worry that yeah. what the answer would be. So how did how did things come to a head for for you? And you, know, you obviously you've broken it off now. How did mm. how did that come about? Um, he he said something I he, after we had the conversation where he told me about the gold standard and he uh, and he told me about taking over Spain and break and America breaking up the EU but again it was never the Jews he never specifically said the Jews and I said to him on the phone I said do you know this is a conspiracy theory these are conspiracy theories and he said yes I do but I know it's true because I feel it. I just know it's going to happen. And I was like, right, that's exactly what conspiracy theorists say. Okay. Um, so that shocked me and I, I pulled back. And that's when I became uh, relatively heavily invested in how to talk to someone to try and convince them otherwise. And how can I come from a place of understanding like I did in Vietnam? How can I come from a place of understanding where I can maybe shift their, their ideas a little bit and make them think in a different way? Uh, not make them, you know, make them question certain beliefs. When I was in Vietnam, I would just kind of talk about things in a, in a calm, logical way and give people facts and ideas and, and philosophical ideas about you know, human rights and respecting each other. And, and they'd come back at me and be like, oh, that's a really interesting point. Da, da, da. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to find ways to, to change his mind in some way, it felt fruitless mm-hmm. because I couldn't come at him with, with facts. It's because he was resistant to them or? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I don't think he realized the seriousness of his ideas, even though he didn't want to tell me outright all, all these theories and, and his belief system. He didn't think they were that bad. He didn't think they were that serious. Uh, so it came to a head. It actually came to, it came, that was a big reason. So I really stepped back and I was really, and I was making myself unhappy trying to think of ways I could navigate the situation, but still be around him because I really liked him. Cause you know, be clear, like on a di- you know, on a personal level, he was great, but he, he um, 
had a really stressful day and he wasn't a, I don't think he regulated emotions. And what really brought it to a head for me was he said something uh, aggressive about one of his family members and he was venting to me, but it was really frightening to hear. So that's when I was like, whoa, okay, I really, really need to think about what I'm doing. And that made me kind of go, okay, I've been really stressed and I've been stressing myself out over some guy I haven't been dating for very long and this shouldn't be happening. So that's when I stepped back and I really was like, right, I need to address what all these things that are really worrying me about him. Um, and that's when I took some time out and then I, I addressed and I said, I actually just said to him, what do you think of Jews? And that's when it just all came out. Wow. So did, did he kind of explain to you the full conspiracy theory at that point? Like or his, his full belief system? Um, he explained to me... Um, the the basis of his conspiracy it started from a hatred of israel um so you know it started from a contested territory and there are lots of people who disagree with the state of israel and that's what i said i was like yeah absolutely like a lot of people in the uk are uk's particularly anti-israel but um for him that that wasn't enough it was a it was a state created by Zionists. Zionists were evil. Um, and they had, they had colluded with national governments to, to fake the Holocaust, to, to um, falsify sources, to work with universities in America and pay universities to create false primary sources wow. um historians were in on it um everyone was in on it and um i think i i mean when it got to a point where he was denying the holocaust and denying the numbers the number of jews being killed and denying the existence of gas chambers yeah um, i that is something i've never had to encounter and hope i never have to encounter again uh, it was really, really shocking. Yeah, it must have been uh, very well, disappointing uh, when that all came out. <laughs> yeah, I think we can say it was disappointing. Yes, <laughs> that's an understatement there. It's just like, oh, wow, what do I do with this? And um, I was so in shock, I just couldn't even say anything. Um, and yeah. I, I, I just was like... I just remember him talking and talking and talking and I just went, that's a lot for me to take in. And I was like, I just want you to know. I think I just went something like, I just want you to know that I really believe in the historical method. Right. <laughs> you know, and I was just like, yeah, I mean, I was a history undergraduate. Right, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm not in any way an expert, but I do historiography you know I, I do think it has its um plus points what do you think he thinks of you uh, like does he think that you are being brainwashed and does he try to help you see the light no no, no. he always he from the moment he met me he said he really liked me because he thought I was intelligent that's always a nice compliment um and he always framed he always framed conversations in a way where it it was we are different but we're learning from each other 
Mm. Um, and he, you know, he knew that I was really passionate about education, about further education. If I could, I would do a PhD, you know. Um, so, so he knew that about me from the beginning. So he already knew that, that I really believed in learning. I really believed in the logical structures we use to make arguments in uh, education and enlightenment thinking and the idea, you know, and philosophical structuring of ideas and the importance of evidence in history. I'm not making much sense. He, he knew that this was this was important to me. So, yeah, I'd, and what I found interesting was that he described himself as a sceptic. Yes. yes, yes, I heard that. Yes, like a Holocaust yeah. sceptic. So this was new to me, um, and but he, but the, he but the scepticism was about researching alone on specific websites mm-hmm. and reading other people who had spoken about this. The questioning of the how many. Jews were killed in the Holocaust. The questioning of that figure wasn't from analyzing, I mean, it wasn't from analyzing any source materials. It was just somebody on the internet had said that, Correct. other people had said that. Yeah, it's um, the whole do your own research uh, thing, uh, which people say, and it sounds good. And if you could do your own research, that would be great. But they're not doing their own research, they're, they're reading somebody else's research. So I guess like uh, that was the end of it. After that, and did you did you talk to him again after that? No. Yeah. The first thing I did, I was in shock. The first thing I did after, because we were on the phone, um, so the first thing I did was put down the phone and call my brother and say, right. "Brother, hi," um, because he 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 knew some of the issues and he knew I was worried about the conspiracy theories, um, um, and I, I I didn't know what to do with it. And he was always really supportive. He was like look he's got some crazy ideas and they're they're pretty negative but if 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 you're happy with him and and he is kind to you and he is as as you know and he is um attentive and sweet and and fun to be around then i can't if, if he's not harming anyone then i can't say that you shouldn't see him um which i thought was a, a nice refreshing take and probably not something that i would say to a loved one or friend um probably be more judgmental but after after that I I because I still even after that conversation after it after he told me that I was like okay so we're going to see each other on Sunday I still wanted to spend time with him and see him but I also knew that I couldn't so the first thing I did was call my brother and say he's a holocaust denier and um he just like erupted and was like okay well right yeah yeah that's it that's the line yeah yeah and then there's and uh as soon as i as soon as i told him i i can't see you anymore these are the reasons why and i i framed it around racism and i framed it around it's really stupid learning how to like read primary sources and Mm. look at the evidence yourself and then form a conclusion and how important that is and not to cherry pick evidence that somebody else has told you or go on a belief system um, because you believe it to be right. That's not, that's not how people do history. You hope. Um, Yeah. Yeah. As soon as I messaged him that I blocked him 
on everything and uh, felt considerably better. Right. Yeah. It's uh, like this weight. Yeah. People, people get that uh, reaction a lot. I think like when, when they do finally, you know, get rid of an issue like that, that there is a big weight uh, lifted off. I think, you know, uh, it's very interesting for me, this discussion, because I, I often talk to people who used to be conspiracy theorists. And so I, I, I come to it from perhaps an optimistic perspective in that these people got out of conspiracism. And I, I, you know, I wrote a book about how to help people in that. And some of the advice I give in helping people is kind of the things that you were doing. You were, you know, talking to people intelligently about things and encouraging them to look at other sources and, uh, you know, the, 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 the discussions you had in Vietnam sounded like you know, to some degree product, productive that people would actually, uh, uh, you know, at least listen to you. Uh, but I, I think with, with you and with, with Sarah last week, who I talked to, uh, there are some people who are so deep in that it's very, very challenging. Uh, and I think perhaps part of the challenge with, with the, with this guy uh, was, was that he kind of had another support structure with his friend, which made it very resilient, made his belief structure very resilient because there's him and his friends who have been together for, for, you know, many, many years. And then there's you and I think it's very, very difficult to uh, kind of go up against that. And did, did you feel like you made any progress at all with him? No. 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 I hope I, hope I did in some way. I, I don't think he's so deep. That, I think that's what was shocking for me. I, I don't think he was so deep that it coloured everything in his life. You know, when I my presumption of conspiracy theorist was that it takes over your life and that's all you talk about and think about, you know, it's the typical, you sit on the computer 12 hours a day watching videos. Um, You know, that these are the stories that I've heard, you know, these, um, so, I mean, that's why I was even surprised that you'd want to talk to me because I don't think my situation is anywhere near as, as bad as a lot of other people who have to live with this, with their family members or people they love. Um, but he got on with his daily life. He was, yeah. respect- you know, he, he worked, he had friends, he was building a really nice life. Even though he, even though he cried when Biden came in, the next breath he was like, yeah, but it doesn't matter because I'm Spanish, you know, I'm Spanish. I don't, I don't live there. Like, it's not, I was like, it's not really going to affect you though, is it? And he was like, yeah, not really. It doesn't matter. So he had this healthy ability to put it to one side Mm -hmm. but it you know but it was the fundamental basics of of his reality yeah yeah and And, i could do anything maybe if it was a new a new obsession but it took over your life you can undo it but it felt like the very foundation of how he understood the world around him yeah Um, really sad I would think you you probably did help to a degree because you you just the encouragement that you gave him for um, you know looking at primary sources even though it kind of like sounds a little bit uh, bit, bit weak uh, it's it's actually you know it's very very good advice and because you have like a background in history uh, I think he he re- people who are conspiracy theorists reject things immediately but they still hear what you're saying. And over time, it can actually have an effect. Uh, but, you know, it, your relationship with him was relatively short, just a few months. 
and yeah. and so you you probably were kind of doomed from the start to be, to not be able to make a significant dent uh, in that. I mean, perhaps if you'd gone on to uh, have a long term relationship with him, then things might have been different. But <laughs> obviously, that wasn't wasn't going to happen. But uh, I I would yeah think that you probably did plant a few seeds in there, and you probably will. I don't know if you'll ever follow up with him in in in, in the years uh, in the future, but it would be interesting to see uh, how he actually processes that information. Uh, we'll probably never know. I, I mean, I mean, it's I mean, this only happened on Sunday, so this is all very fresh. So mm-hmm. I can't. I, you know, so at the moment it, it, it's quite a big deal, and also. Um, I think a bit of a ridiculous experience. It feels like a ridiculous experience, but I think that's why I wanted to talk about it because it, it was draining and um, it was a bit scary at times. And it, it also something you never think will happen to you. Uh, And it's something on the fringes, but, but I, you know, I, I don't know if this is just fear speaking, but I do, think it's becoming more prevalent and like I when I started I was talking about how coronavirus theories are conspiracy theories are everywhere everyone I I speak to here has is a adherent to a coronavirus conspiracy theory yeah well it's quite uh quite prevalent here like uh, I think yeah, significant numbers of people in the in the US say they won't take the vaccine and uh, mm-hmm. I live in a, a reasonably uh, uh, not not too conservative a neighborhood but you still see people outside refusing to wear masks uh, in, inside stores and things like that and certainly up the hill uh, further up the hill where it's a bit more rural uh, there's, there's a lot of that going on but uh, it's interesting to hear that uh, it's it's happening in uh, in, in other countries. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation, uh, and I know you—you you think it's—it's—it exists on the spectrum of conspiracy theories. Uh, in 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 a way, it's not—it's not an extreme conspiracy theory like chemtrails or whatnot, uh, or you know, moon landing hoaxes and things. But it's obviously something that has a huge impact on his life, and has 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 a huge impact on the people around him in terms of it being like underpinning his beliefs about how the world works. So yeah, even though it's perhaps not as uh, extreme as some conspiracy theories, it's still very, very significant. And yeah, it's it's a problem that people have to deal with. Like, how do you talk to people like that? And and I think you you did essentially do the right thing from from, from what I heard. And thank it's you. just that thank you for validating my decision. <laughs> no, it's it's <laughs> but it's there's, there's guilt because there's this person. You know, also, I think I had to remind myself that I'm in a new place. So I'm also in a vulnerable position. So I, I need, you know, if I meet somebody I really like, I'm really going to latch on to them. So that's something I had to really keep in mind. Would I be doing this if I were somewhere else and I was more settled? Um, um, But uh, what was I? But thank you for validating me because there is a guilt. I, you know, I didn't want to stop seeing him um yeah uh, uh, you you it's not like you have the responsibility to cure him uh his his own guy and you know you you are you and uh uh you you i like i said i think you probably did help uh to the degree you could in the time available and the fact that he he it was so deep-seated in him you were never going to just 
you know, simply explain things to him. This was a kind of a misconception I had when I started talking to people about conspiracy theories is that, you know, obviously these things are wrong. So all you have to do is explain why they're wrong and then they will be like, oh, right. And they'll, they'll move on. But you know, it doesn't, doesn't work like that, obviously. And I'm sure you've seen you know, your attempts kind of bouncing off him. And uh, it's, it just, they become immune to reason, immune to, to facts uh, on a short-term basis. But it does actually help, I think, on the long term. That's good to know. Thank you. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, was there, was there anything else you wanted to, uh, to mention that we didn't, we didn't discuss? Um, I do. I, I did come here because of the, the you know, of a, a general fear of how, how popular's way of thinking is. So I think my, my thoughts were just what can be done to counteract this and uh, I listened to the video, I think it was previous to this, and a, a woman, woman was talking about kind of taking dangerous content offline and um, this solving the problem. Um, mm-hmm. what, what do you think about that? <laughs> well, I think that's this kind of a, a complicated subject because there's pros and cons of taking things off, offline because if you take it off YouTube, say, then it goes somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've actually had problems with YouTube. Like uh, I, I had a, a podcast interview with a guy about QAnon where we're, we're discussing QAnon and in a critical way. And Facebook deleted the video because they, they said it was uh, cyber stalking and harassment, which it obviously wasn't. But they're, they're actually being quite heavy handed now. And I think for a lot of people uh, that provides evidence that uh, that there's some kind of great conspiracy trying to suppress their ideas. But on the other hand, it stops a lot of people being exposed to those ideas. So it, it slows the spread. So I'm, I'm not sure what the answer is there and to what degree um, block, simply blocking things is the best approach. I think you know, we have to supply something else if we're going to remove it. We have to supply you know, information that's true if we're going to be blocking all this other information, otherwise people will still be attracted to it, even if it's over on some obscure website. But if there's such a mistrust of people in institutions of any kind, I mean, I mean, it goes to a distrust of governments, a distrust of corporations, a dis, a distrust, a distrust of anything large and powerful, then mm-hmm. what, what can be said to counteract it? Because all evidence will be deemed falsifiable. Something that might be helpful there is teaching people about how these institutions and uh, uh, governments and things work. So a lot of people, they view them essentially as being these black boxes where they have no idea what goes on inside them uh, and educating people about uh, how government works and how the people work within government and how the individuals do their jobs within government and within science. Uh, this is certainly something, an approach that I, I encourage with, with scientists uh, is that, you know, engaging more with people about their work. Um, yeah, and I think it comes from education at a young age. I'm, I genuinely believe, I mean, it's something we don't have in the UK. We don't have an, we have an education in scientific method from a young age. Mm-hmm. But we don't have an, any education in how to how how to um, 
critically engage with philosophical thought, how to debate different ideas and to bring evidence about those different, you know, in, in, into your arguments, the kind of structure of logical arguments. And um, I don't think we learn that, and especially we don't learn anything about philos- the philosophical method. Um, yeah, I think, you know, things like that do happen, uh, but I think it's kind of a, um, it varies a lot by individual teachers and what, what initiative they take. Uh, I, I, I'm friends with a, a few teachers uh, here in the United States. We have, I have friends and relatives who are teachers here and they, I brought these issues up with them. Like, what more can we do? Like teach critical thinking and things like that. And they will tell me that they do. They do teach critical thinking and they do have classes in subjects like this and things like uh, uh, how to read a news story and how to check the, the sources. So it's certainly happening, but I, th- I think it's perhaps something that we need, needs to be more addressed as a fundamental uh, part of, of learning in the same way that we've treated uh, you know, science and mathematics and basic English as being fundamentals. And it would be great if we could move move more towards that because it is increasingly important. But I think that you're even going to get some some pushback on that. There, there was a, a famous thing that happened in the United States, well, slightly famous, where the Republican Party, they put out a, what they call a plank, uh, which is a list of all the, the, the policies that they're going to promote if they get elected. And uh, one of them was they will, I think, I can't remember how they phrased it exactly, but it was basically they would uh, stop critical thinking being taught in schools. And they actually used the phrase critical thinking because critical thinking kind of became for them the idea that left-wing people are going to teach them, teach people about, you know, whatever religion and morals and gender diversity and uh, 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 racism and historical privilege and things like that uh, under the guise of critical thinking. Mm. So you, we got this pushback against uh, against the very, very idea of critical thinking itself because they didn't realize that it actually meant something more abstract than that. Uh, so it's it's, I think, any push to encourage teaching things like this, this you know, comparative analysis or whatever of uh, of sources is going to actually get some political pushback because not everybody wants there to be this uh, free and open discussion of things. Mm-hmm. But I do think it is definitely something that we should push for, even though we are going to get some pushback on it. Yeah, uh, this is something um, that um, Viet- the Vietnamese government has noticed their schooling system doesn't engage with any, uh, doesn't teach in any way any critical thinking. So they've started just kind of, they've, they've started initiatives for right. critical thinking classes um, in some schools, which is uh, fascinating. Yeah, um, yeah, it's definitely something that's needed. Um, it's also something that I, I think is often poorly defined uh, what critical thinking actually is. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a bit difficult to, to argue for. I think we need a better def- definition of exactly what we are trying to pr- promote. Because um, yeah. people think uh, critical thinking is just like uh, using your brain to think about mm. things really hard. Uh, that's kind of what the, the definitions boil down to. And you know, there's, there's <laughs> probably better ways of putting it. But but anyway, it's uh, it's definitely something I'm in and, favour of. And and I do think 
it's I do think it's really important to to um, accept people's fears um, legitimate fears about government uh, yeah. you know and people and uh, groups of people who hold positions of power yeah um, you know and there have been huge conspiracies unveiled over the past 50 years you know even longer where it's like wow I can't believe my government did that absolutely um, yeah but how to place that in in a sphere where you still trust the you where you because you have to put interest of of the like machinery of government mm. and, and you you have to trust that process otherwise what have what else have you got yeah but it's a kind of a trust yet verify i think yeah. uh and uh or or if you want distrust yet verify you can you can still have a suspicion of the government but you can still check what they're doing uh, and obviously the government isn't lying about everything, even if uh, there, are, there are people within the government who are uh, to some degree acting nefariously. The, 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 the machine that we have here, the system of, uh, of, of, of government and academia and science uh, is generally an honest one because it's comprised of people who people are generally honest. And I think you know, if we can shine a light on that, and get people to, you know, as you say, you know, trust it to the extent that it's justified, then that would be a good, a good thing. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, this has been a, a great, great discussion. I'll uh, let you go. Bye. Thank you very much. Bye.